over to Matthew chapter number 2. We're going to look at another reaction surrounding Christmas, all right? We, last week, we, we dove into a reaction of Christmas as we looked at Mary, and this week, we're going to look at another example from the Scriptures at a re- Christmas reaction, and so we're going to dive into that this morning. Look with me, if you would, at Luke chapter, not Luke, Matthew chapter number two. I'll get it before the end of the service, okay? Matthew chapter number two. Look with me, if you would, at verse number one. The Bible says this, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born, king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes and the people together, he demanded them where Christ should be born. They said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, Now Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, and the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor and that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligent for the young child. And when you have found him, bring word, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when the, they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented to him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Let's ask for the Lord's help today. We're going to look at another reaction to Christmas. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity you give us to be able to come together and open your word. And Lord, I, I pray now uh, that as we do that, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I thank you for each person that's here. And God, we've come to hear from you. And so God, I pray that you would speak this morning and would help me to only say those things that you desire for me to say. And I, I pray, God, that your name would be lifted up and glorified this morning. I pray for a few moments. I know there's a lot of things going on in our lives, but for a few moments, you bring our thoughts into captivity. We'll be able to focus on your word. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would so fill me that, God, what these uh, people here, God, this morning is, is right straight from you. Lord, we, we magnify your word this morning, and I pray that that's exactly what we would do as we preach it, Lord. I, I thank you, God, for what you're going to do. We give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, I love the story of, of Matthew chapter number two, and I, I think just about everybody would agree with me. They, they would all enjoy uh, the, the story of Matthew chapter number two, and in fact, uh, there, there's songs that are written about it, and oftentimes the plays take place of, of you know, the little baby Jesus in the manger and the three wise men that come to see him. Now, we, we know the scripturally none of that is accurate, but, but, but hey, listen, I don't want to ruin your view of, uh, of the scriptures and, and the Christmas story. Uh, the, tr- the truth of the matter is, is, is Jesus was actually probably a child at that point. That's why it calls him a child, and, and the, the wise men could have been, you know, it doesn't tell us that there was three. We know they brought three gifts, but it could have been a, a great multitude of them that came, but, but listen, I, I don't want to, like I I don't want to ruin your Christmas, and so, uh, you know, you believe whatever you want to believe, all right? But, but uh, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful story, isn't it? It's a great story. Uh, the wise men traveling so far from the east to come and, and find and worship the, the child Jesus. What a, what a wonderful story from the Word of God. But the truth is, is when you read chapter number 2 here, especially these first, first 12 verses or so, we would be remiss to, to skip over some of the main characters in the story. We oftentimes spend all our time pointing to the wise men or the magi as, as probably we're, we're better known. We, we spend all our time talking about them and very little time talking about the other characters. 
in Matthew chapter number 2. Specifically this morning, we, we, we fail to spend time looking at the reaction of one person that was very pivotal in moving forward the plan of Christ. A man by the name of Herod. See, we can't look at the reaction of the wise men to the birth of Christ without seeing the reaction to the world around Christ. We can't look at Matthew chapter number 2 and see the reaction of the wise men if we don't first stop and see the reaction of Herod himself. You know, as we study this passage of Scripture, we find this, first of all, that the world is often troubled by Christ's birth. Look at verse number 3. The Bible says this, When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Herod the Great, as he was known at that time, he was appointed to power over Israel by Rome in 37 B.C. Because of, of his appointment by Rome, he was willing uh, as, to be a political bridge that was between the, the Romans and the Jews. And uh, really, he was a pawn for the Romans, I guess you could say. This included putting oppressive taxes and forced labor on the Israelites. As he grew older and, 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 and served as the, the, the king, I guess you could say, the, the patriarch, the, the, the man in charge, as he, as he got further down the road, he became increasingly paranoid over the threats against himself and against his throne. He was, he was so paranoid about it that he actually went on to have numerous of his children killed, numerous wives killed, and even many of his close friends killed because he was afraid that maybe they were going to try to, to make a plan to overthrow his reign. And so on this day in Matthew chapter number 2, his fears had risen to new levels. As now a group of wise men are standing before him proclaiming to him that there's a new king. The words in verse number 2 that we see, they cut straight to his heart. They said this saying, where is he that is Born king of the Jews. See, Herod was, was not born, and, and he wasn't in the lineage of king. He, he wasn't born as, as the next leader. No, no, no. He was appointed as that leader. And so as they said this, hey, where is he that is born the next king? I mean, right away. I mean, the everything up in arms. I mean, he, he, I mean, the paranoia kicks in, looking around thinking, who is this that they're talking about? This new king. Why? Because he was afraid to lose control of his kingdom. He was the king of his kingdom. You know, people will fight to remain the king of their kingdom. Think about back in the Old Testament, there was a man by the name of Saul. Saul, the Bible tells us, he was head and shoulders above the rest. You remember Israel wanted a king. They wanted to be just like everybody else. And up until that point in time, they, they had one king, and that was God. That was the only one that, that, that was over them. But, but they said, hey, we want to be like everybody else. We want to be a king. And so Samuel said, you don't want that. They said, yeah, we do. You don't want that. Yeah, we do. Okay. And they got what they wanted. And then when they got it, they realized they maybe didn't want what they got. King Saul, head and shoulders above the rest, and, and we know the story, eventually disobeys God's command, and God says, listen, because of your disobedience, my hand is removed from you, and, and you're not going to be king forever. And Saul 
One day, we remember the story, one day there's a, there's a battle that's taking place. It's pretty familiar. It's this battle against the, the Philistines. And amongst the Philistines, there was one great champion that came marching out. His name was Goliath. We, we would know the story. Goliath comes out there day after day after day, and he says, listen, he says, send me a man that we may fight together. Every woman's life first. <laughs> You'll get it later, okay? Send me a man that we may fight together. And, and day after day after day, he cries out against the God of Israel, against the, the Israelites, and Saul sits in his tent. Hiding away. Until one day this young shepherd boy shows up and he says, who does this guy think he is? And, and we know the story. David picks up those five smooth stones and he goes out there on that day and he says, today you're going to know who God of Israel is. And he charges at Goliath and he slings those stones and right square in the, in the head hits Hit Goliath, and the Bible says Goliath drops on his face to the ground. Well, we know after this took place, as, as they made their way back into to Jerusalem, as they're making their way back in there, the crowd is chanting, Saul hath slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Now listen, I mean, he was a shepherd boy. This was like the first guy that David had ever killed, all right? I mean, like, David was no warrior. In fact, uh, you look further up in the scriptures, you find that David had never been in a battle. He didn't really know any, what he was doing. He just knew that this guy's a defying God and, and defying God's people. And so I'm going to go stand against him. That's what he's supposed to do. And, and, uh, and, and that's what he did. And, but yet the crowd cheered. Saul has slain his thousand. David is tens of thousands. And, and something bristles up in Saul. So yeah, who, who is, oh yeah, David. And it's amazing, for, for years, maybe decades of his life following that, Saul chases David around seeking to kill him because he was afraid that David was going to take his place. People will fight and do everything that they can to remain the king of their kingdom. Because the truth is this, we all want control. We all want to be in control of our lives. We, we want things to go according to, to our plans. And as long as everything goes according to our plans, then things are all good. I remember when I was in high school. I, I, my, parent, my mom drove a school bus, and I had two younger siblings, and, and they would go to their elementary school and things like that, and, and so they would ride the school with, to the school with, with my mom on her school bus, and she would leave at about 6.45 in the morning or so, and so I made sure, because I, I could drive into high school, I would wake up on my own at about 6.45, right, whenever they would leave, and, and I had a plan. Everything was according to, to schedule. Dad was already gone for work. Mom was already gone. My brother and sister were already gone, so I'd wake up at 6.45, from 6.45 to 7.05, I would spend time getting ready for the day. At 7.05 to 7.20, I would sit down and I would eat my breakfast. At 7.20 to 7.40, I would read my Bible. And from 7.45 to, uh, to 7.45, I'd head out to the car. 7.45 to, to about 7.55, I'd drive to school and school class would start at 8 o'clock. All right, that was, that was the plan. And as long as everything went according to plan, my day was great. But every once in a while, you'd oversleep. You know, I mean, something wouldn't go according to plan. Every once in a while, something was out of control, and, and the rest of the day just went downhill from there. Why? Because suddenly it was no longer in my control. It was no longer going according to my plan. You know, the answer to who is the king of your life comes when things get out of your control. Do you lose control? 
What happens when, when the party doesn't go the way that, that maybe you planned or, or someone calls off a work that was supposed to be there or, or when something unplanned comes up? I mean, does it, does it ruin your whole day? I mean, does everything just, just, just I mean, it's just, what am I going to do? Panic ensues when things are out of control. Why? Because, because you aren't in control. It might just point to the reality that you think that you're the king of your kingdom. That you want things to go a certain way, and as long as everything goes the way that you have planned, then everything is good. But as soon as something comes off, goes off track, or, or I mean, if you have children, your life is just lived off a track, okay? There is no track. But I mean, like, you know, I mean, it's just the way that it is. As long as it goes this way, everything will be good, and then something happens, and somebody gets sick, and, 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 and this person says this, and, and it's just everything just... just Ah, panic ensues. Why? Because you're not in control anymore. Can I remind you about something? 1 Corinthians 6 tells us this in verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and listen to this, and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit which are God's. Friend, you and I are not to be the king of our life. We're supposed to be the servant of the king of our life. And sometimes the king allows the plans to change. Sometimes the king changes the direction of what we thought everything was going to be. Sometimes there's a phone call that comes in or, or a doctor visit that doesn't go the way that we thought it was going to be. To go and suddenly now everything we think is out of control, but we've forgotten that God's still in control. You see, the truth is this. You think you're in control, but you're actually never in control. (laughs) You realize just how little control you have when one little thing throws everything off, right? But there's one that's always in control. And there's one that we should always let be in control. That's God. He should be the king of your life. I love what Paul says in Colossians chapter number 3. I love how he says it. He says this, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. I love that. He says, listen, God... It's not that, that Christ is just, you know, he's just like the focus of our life. It's not that, that Christ is just like a big part of our life. It's not that Christ is just kind of that thing that we do on Sunday mornings. No, he says, no, Christ who is our life. He's everything. When, in, our, in our Colossians study over here, we, we've talked about Colossians chapter number 1, verse number 18. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the first one from the dead. It says it's that in all things he might have the preeminence. I love this because that word preeminence, it doesn't just mean that he has first place. It means he has every place. It doesn't just mean he's at the top of the list. It means he is the list. He's everything. And yet so many times in our life, don't we realize who's really the king of our life when something goes a little off track and we lose control. <laughs> lose it. Why? Because it's not in our control anymore. But it never should have been in our control to begin with. 
We're going to talk about it here in just a couple of weeks. But in James chapter number 4, he tells us, he says, when you pray, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. That's what he says. You know what he's saying there? Set aside your will and make him the king. Let him be the one that determines your day and your life. You know, King Herod was, he was overwhelmed. He's paranoid. He's troubled. Why? Because there was a new king on the throne. It wasn't him anymore. And oh no, what am I going to do? And, and the, it, it troubled him. It troubled him so much that it, that it led to, to something that's unbelievable. This is, this is incredible. As I was studying this week, it just, it just blew my mind. It led to the ignoring of Christ's birth. This is, this is amazing. Okay, Look with me at verse number 4. He says this, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. He calls in uh, his, his religious leaders, right? I mean, these are the guys that are going to know, okay? He, he's, they're telling me that, that the king of, uh, of Israel, they're telling me that the Messiah has been born. He says, listen, you guys are the religious crowd. I'm not the religious guy here. He said, you guys are. He said, where... Is he supposed to be born then? I mean, these guys are looking for him. Where's he, where's he at? This is amazing. Look at verse number 5. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. This is stunning. After the distressing news of, of, of a new king, Herod gathers them together. Hey, well, what, are, what are they talking about? What's happening? This is amazing. The priest and the scribe know exactly where the prophesied Christ was to be born. In fact, what they say in, in verse number 6 is a quote from Micah chapter number 5, verse number 2. Now, it's not word for word. In fact, they changed some things. It's kind of interesting. But, but in Micah 5, 2, he says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that to be a ruler in Israel. And they stop there. They miss this last part. Whose going forth have been from of old from everlasting. That last part's kind of important because important, it, it kind of points to you know, the eternality of Christ and, and just who He is. Just so conveniently leave out that last part of the verse, the part that points to Christ being God. Because if they acknowledge that part, they would have to surrender to who it was that was being born, the true King. So instead of doing that, you know what they do? They just ignore it. They just pretend like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we know what the Bible says, and we know that all this stuff is happening, but yeah. They just ignore it. It's, it's just stunning to me. It's one of the most mind-blowing things about the whole story is that the, the religious crowd that knew about the coming Messiah, the ones that were supposed to prophesy and talk about it and tell people about it, that they choose to ignore that He had come. They didn't even go to Bethlehem themselves to check it out. I mean, in my mind, this is, this is mind-blowing. You would think they would want to go and see the thing that they were supposed to be living their life for. When I was in high school, I, I, I was big into fishing. That was one of my favorite things to do. I had a buddy of mine that, named Jeremiah, and we fished all the time. I mean, it was, just, it was a big part of our life. When we were first getting started, 
I'd go over to some friend's house up the road, and they had three ponds on their property. And, and I'd go over there, and I, I'd, I'd fish and things like that. And most of the fish that you pulled out of there were two-pound bass. I mean, there was largemouth bass. That was what you caught. Most of them were two pounds, maybe three pounds every once in a while. Well, I remember one day, it was, it was a little bit before church on Sunday evening, and we were there, I was there, and I was fishing out there by myself, and, you know, just, just casting, and I caught, caught just a little one, a little one-pound bass, and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm reeling it in, and as I'm reeling it in, all of a sudden, I see like this, the wake of the water. I mean, it was shallow enough, you could see it, and it, it, the water moved, and I'm, I'm reeling it, and I bring it up close, and there's this massive bass chasing this fish, and I'm like, I mean, like, this is exciting, okay? So I'm kind of leaving it in there, kind of going around and things like, you know, come on. I mean, this fish is like back and forth. I mean, just terrified, right? I'm going back and forth trying to get it. And, and, and finally, it kind of left it away, and, and I kind of watched where it swam over to. And so I pulled the fish out, and I unhooked it. This never happens. I mean, like, you, you probably don't even believe it, okay? But anyway, I, I took that bait, and I threw it right where that fish had gone to. As soon as it hit the water, boom, it hit it. And I mean, it was a great feeling if you've ever bass fished before. Judah, you know what I'm talking about here, right, man? Okay, Judah's a fisherman. He catches big fish, all right? But I mean, I, am, oh, I set the hook on, and you could tell right away, man, this is a good fish. And I mean, I'm reeling, I'm fighting it all. This is a drag, you know, and I'm pulling out, and I'm pulling it back. And I got that thing all the way up to the shore, and I got, I got it in. I got it, right? Now, this is back before we had cell phones like we had today. So you didn't take a, I couldn't take a picture of it or anything, but it was like, nobody's going to believe me. This is... This is unbelievable. It was the biggest fish I'd ever seen in my life in person. It was amazing. And so I took that fish and I put it on a stringer and I, I put it back in the water because I had to go to church. And so I put it back in the water and I staked it in and, and I went to church. And, and I got to the church and I had a couple of my fishing buddies, Jeremiah, and, and there's another guy, Jim, who was a, uh, was a big fisherman with us. And, and I, I'm talking, I said, listen, guys, it's like the biggest fish you've ever seen. It says a 10-pound bass. And they're like, a 10-pound bass? I said, 10-pound bass, it's huge. A 10-pound bass. I said, yeah, it's like 10 pounds. It's huge. So we'll come check it out. And I'm like, eh, I don't know if I want that. But, you know, I just, I just wanted you to just believe me. So I, you know, but okay. I was like, yeah, 10-pound bass. It's going to be awesome. And uh, we got back over to the house after church. And I remember I pulled that stringer out. And I held that fish up. And right away, Jim looked at me and said, that ain't a 10-pound bass. You know what I mean? <laughs> he looked at it. He was like, it's maybe like five, maybe six pounds. You know, but I was like, are you sure? This feels like a, I mean, it feels like a 10-pound bass, and, and we put it on a scale, and it was like five or six pounds, but, you know, I mean, like, to me, it was like a 10-pound, I mean, it was, that was a big moment in my life, it was, it was exciting, and, and whenever I told them, I said, listen, I've, I caught a 10-pound bass, I mean, like, whether they believed it or not, they were coming over to check it out, because that was a big deal to catch a 10-pound bass that I didn't actually catch, but they, I mean, like, it was, it was a big deal. You know, in my mind, I mean, like, listen, like, if this is your life, like, you, you're prophesying, you're talking about, you know, you're studying the Old Testament. I mean, this is what you do for a living. That's all you do is study the Old Testament and, and look at, okay, the coming Messiah. Okay, he's going to come. And you know the scriptures. Okay, he's going to come in Bethlehem. That, that's where he's going to be. And, 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 and I know all these things. And then the day comes and, and you have some guys come and they say, listen, we've seen a star in the east. He's born. Wouldn't you think they'd at least say, you know what? I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm going to at least go check it out. But they didn't. Instead, they just, they just ignored it completely. It's stunning to me. See, they were as close to the truth as you could come. And yet they had chose 
to ignore Christ's birth. I wonder how, how often we choose to ignore the truths that are right in front of us in Scripture. See, if you decide to make yourself the king of your life, it's real easy to pick and choose the truths that you will expect, accept and, and which truths you're going to ignore. You know, there's, there's some that ignore the truth in the Scriptures about salvation. There are some that, that listen, you, you've come to church, like, your whole life. I mean, like, if you're, you're, maybe you're like me. You came to church since you were nine months in the womb. I mean, I'm just telling you. I mean, it, it, you, you've been coming forever. And you know the verses, just like, I mean, just like the, these guys did. You know the things, all right? I mean, like, you, you know the stuff. And you've chosen to ignore it. What kind of things? Well, it's kind of things like Romans 3.10 that says, uh, tells us that, that there's none righteous, no, not one. Things like, you know, like Romans 3.23, that, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what that means? It means you can't do it on your own. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter number 2 that it's not of works lest any man should boast. In Romans chapter number four, it tells us it's not by works, or it tells us that, that it's not according to our works, because if, if it was according to our works, then it would be out of debt, meaning God owes me. And yet you, you know these things, you've heard these things maybe your whole life. But you chose to ignore it. Can I tell you? There's nothing that you can do that can get you any closer to heaven on your own. There's nothing. I, I mean, like, there, there are people that, that are just like this religious crowd that do a lot of good things. I mean, some that, that maybe even study the, the scriptures. They probably go to a, a place of worship. They probably are good moral people. They help people out. Some have even been, been, been dunked underwater before. And you've done all the things, but you, you ignore what actually matters. See, the Bible tells us in Romans 5, verse number 8, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can we say it this way? But God commended, He, he demonstrated His love toward you, in that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. And you know what so many people do with that? They just ignore it. I mean, yeah, I hear it, but I don't really need it. I'll figure it out. It'll all work out in the end. Listen, that, that might work when it comes to a mechanical problem on your car. But it doesn't work when it comes to eternity. Working it all out in the end is going to lead to a lake of fire for all of eternity. You say, that, that hurts my feelings, Kyle. I don't really like the way that sounds. Listen, I don't either. That's what the Bible says. It says the wages of sin is death. That's, that's eternity in hell. 
And you can choose to ignore what Christ says, what God's word says, or you can choose to accept that. Because the Bible tells us that God, he loved you so much that, that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You, you know the verse, Romans, or uh, John three sixteen. So So what does that mean? Well, it tells us in, in, in Romans chapter number 10, verses 9 and 10, it says that if you uh, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What does that mean? It means we, you have to come to that place where you say, I, I know that I am a sinner, and I know that, that there's a punishment for my sin, and God, I'm choosing to trust in you and Jesus' death on the cross for me. You see, you can either choose that and do what the Bible says, or you can ignore it. And ignore a truth that's, that's, that's right there in front of you. But if you ignore it, one day your heart will beat for the last time. You will, not, you will open your eyes again. When you open your eyes, you will not be in a place of joy. You'll be in a place of torment. Why? Because you choose while you're on this earth to ignore what the Scripture tells us. Friend, this morning, it's, I'm telling you, it's the easiest gift you could ever receive. It's free to receive. It wasn't free to buy, but it's free to receive. And this is something so hard, especially us Montanans. I mean, like, if you're from Montana or you've lived here for a little while, like, you understand, like, we work for things. I mean, like, just like getting here this morning, you had to like walk through snow and work to get in your car and, and probably had to work to get it started and work to drive. I mean, like, it's just like, I got to do things to obtain something, okay? Like nothing comes free. That's, that's in our mindset. And that's why it's so hard for us to accept that Jesus died on the cross and all I have to do is accept that he died for me and ask him to forgive me for my sins. That's all I have to... I mean, it just seems like there should be more. I, listen, sometimes I wish there was like a little box that you had to check off or something. And that way you could do something. But that's not what it is. Because the Bible says it's either all works or it's all grace. And if there's any works added to the grace, it's not grace. Because grace is a free gift. And friend, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior this morning... And maybe this is the first time, maybe it's, you don't know, maybe it's the last time. If you ignore the truth, you're going to miss out on the greatest gift. But maybe you're a Christian here this morning, and you are saved. You've been sitting here this little bit, and you're like, all right, I am saved, so I don't, whew, he's not preaching to me, you know? Here's, here's for you, okay? You know what we do? We ignore Scripture, too. See, whether you accept the truths of the Scripture or not, can I tell you, they're still true. Whether you act on what you hear or not, can I tell you, they're still true. Whether you show up to service to hear it or, or whether you pick up this book during the week and read it, listen, the truth is still true. God's Word is too, still true. And whether you respond to God's Word at the end of a message or not, it's still true. And you can choose to ignore it, but it doesn't make it any less true.
Friend, can I encourage us this morning that, that when the truth of God comes, don't just ignore like the scribes and the priests did, but seek after it. See, these religious servants of Herod, they, they could have been laying gifts at the feet of Jesus with the wise men. But instead, they chose to ignore his birth. Upon hearing the troubling news of the promised Messiah, Herod's religious leaders chose to ignore it. But Herod in his paranoia could never ignore such a thing. And it resulted in him trying to destroy Christ's birth. Look at verses 7 and 8. The Bible says this, Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, quietly brings them together, inquired them diligently, What time the star, what time did it appear? And he sent them to, to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for that young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And at first he, he tries to, to lure the wise men into finding the location of Jesus and his parents and, and bringing it to him. And in an ironic twist, this is, this is really cool. In an ironic twist, Herod, the enemy of Christ, points the wise men, exactly to where Christ is. Isn't that cool? The wicked king leads the wise men to Jesus. <laughs> hey friend, don't, don't think for a second that God isn't powerful enough to use wicked men for his purposes. Don't, don't think for a minute that, that God is is ever out of control. I, I know we look in the world that we live in today and, and it's like, oh man, like the wicked men are in control. I mean, like you just, you say, where do they live? Washington, D.C. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, listen. I mean, like, it's just, it's just you, you look around sometimes, it's like, man, it's just, it just seems like evil's constantly winning all over the place. But listen, friend, don't miss it, okay? Wicked men may be doing things, but it's not out of the scope and control of God. Anything that, that's going on, God, God allows for a purpose. It's all going a certain, certain direction. You understand the Bible talks about in 2 Timothy that, that in the end, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Perilous times shall come. Hey, listen, it's all pointing a direction. It, 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 God is not out of control. And just like in the time of, of, of Herod, he, it wasn't that Herod was working out of his control. No, God was using Herod to further his purposes. When Herod realizes he's been outplayed by God himself, because God warned the wise men not to return the way that they came, Herod goes into a frenzy. It's terrifying. It's terrible. In verse number 16, the Bible says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. He, he orders the death of all children two years old and under. It's a fulfillment of a prophecy from Jeremiah 31, verse number 15. One of the most horrific executions in all of history. Back when Pharaoh gave the order in Exodus chapter number 1 to kill all of the children, it was reserved for the male children only, but no such reservation was given on this case. When Herod gave the command, no child was safe. Every child, two years and under, was condemned to die. 
The fear of another king being born that could take his throne revealed the vast and the depth of the wickedness in the heart of this man. And he was willing to go to any lengths to destroy the birth of Christ. Friend, I got good news. He failed. He failed. Because Jesus was born and Mary and Joseph fled before Herod's rage could reach them. And Jesus lived 33 and a half years on this earth. He failed. But here's something that's so interesting. While Matthew's gospel specifically points to Christ as king, that's really the theme throughout the book of, the, of, of Matthew, he, he never sought any earthly accolades. Jesus never sought any praise of men. While Herod feared a rival to his throne, Jesus sought no such authority. Never did Christ attempt to overthrow the throne in Jerusalem. Never did Christ try to overwhelm the Roman authorities. Never in all of his miracles and followers did Christ try to ascend to an earthly position of authority. In fact, there are only two times in which Jesus was called the King of the Jews. And both were from the mouth of someone else. The first time was here when the wise men were searching for him and stood before Pharaoh. Uh, That was the first time. The second time was on the day of his death. In Matthew 27 verse number 11 it says, And Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him saying, Art thou he? Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, Thou sayest. It was the accusation that was nailed above his head as he hung on the cross. In Matthew 27, 37, and he set up over, they set up over his head an accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. It was the reason that the Jews crucified him. Because they said, He is the King of the Jews. But from Jesus' mouth, he never said it. No, Jesus never sought an earthly throne. They had it all wrong. No, yes, he, he is indeed the King of the Jews. But don't let the world define it. See, the world thought he was going to come as some mighty power and he was going to sit on a throne and he was going to overthrow Rome and he was going to become the the leader of Israel that they all expected. That's what they wanted. That's what they had hoped for. That's why on that day, whenever Jesus entered into Jerusalem, they took those palm branches and they laid them before his feet and they cried out and said, Hosanna! Hosanna! Why? Because they thought he was coming in to overthrow the oppressive Roman government. But listen, that's not what he was doing. You see, Jesus, as he entered into that that town that day, as he entered into Jerusalem, he didn't enter as the king, he entered as the lamb. The lamb that in just a few short days would be slain. No, the, the earth wanted to give him, the world wanted to give him an earthly throne, but Jesus wasn't after that. No, he, he, he is indeed the king. But listen, the thrones of man were far too small for Jesus the king. The halls of power could not contain the majesty of the king Jesus. No, Jesus came to earth and was laid in a humble manger, but his entrance was announced by the chorus of angels. He, he was born in a stable, but the entire sky rearranged itself and pointed to the one who was the true king. His beginning was of a humble nature, but the gifts that were presented to him announced his royalty. Yes, Jesus is king, and it won't be the final time that he's called king. Oh, no, 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 no. Revelation chapter number 19, it's at the end of it. 
There the battle of Armageddon gets to. And then some people say, hey, will you ever preach through the book of Revelation? Yeah, one day. Okay, not today. All right, we don't have enough time. All right. But in Revelation chapter number 19, you got the battle of Armageddon. All the, 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 the armies of the earth appointed by the Antichrist gather together for one final battle. And as they come together against Israel, as they come together against the people of God, all of a sudden the sky will open up. And now their entire army, millions upon millions, maybe billions of people will now now look to the sky with an attempt to try to defeat the one who is coming. You know what the Bible says? Let me, let me tell you, okay? Revelation 19, verse number 11. And I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him, upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he that judge and make war. His eyes were as flames of fire. There's some people that said, well, yeah, I went to heaven and, and I saw Jesus' eyes. What did they look like? Oh, they were comforting. They were peaceful. The Bible says his eyes are like flames of fire. Okay, I'm just putting that out there. Okay, uh, it says his eyes were as flames of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written uh, that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed in a vesture, dipped in blood. And his name is called, oh listen, he's called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed upon him, and followed after him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, and white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth forth the sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and tread the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. And listen, and on, and he hath on his vesture, and on his thigh, a name written. You know what it is? King of kings and Lord of lords. Listen, friend. He's not just the king of Israel. Well, he is. Oh, no, no, no. He's the king of kings. He's the king of all the earth. Until the end of time, the devil and the world will reject Jesus and try to destroy his name. But I've got great news. Because I've read the end of the book. And you can too. Jesus wins. He is, was, and always will be the king. Friend, we cannot expect a lost and dying world to make Jesus king. Some of us get really upset when people don't, people in the world don't, don't treat Christmas the way that we think it should be. We get really mad and we, you know, well, listen, we, we can't expect the world to act like a Christian. The problem is when Christians don't act like Christians. <laughs> so you can mark it down. The world is going to act like the world. It will belittle what is this time of the year, what it's truly all about. It will encourage things that are often good things, but they will come at the expense of that which is best and most important. They will point to the trees, the lights, the gifts, the parties, and listen, friend, they're all things that I love. Okay, I, I love, I enjoy all of it. I mean, like, I'm like, last, there was a parade over in Belgrade last night where there was all kinds of trucks with lights and things like that. And I wanted to go so bad. It was really sad that <laughs> Tressa didn't get done over there in time for us to go. And so, you know. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for the sympathy there. <laughs> Just kidding. I had things to do, okay? It didn't work out. But I, I do, I love all of it. But oftentimes the world will emphasize those things at the expense of the one who truly matters. But that doesn't make Jesus any less king. He's still on the throne. And it's still all 
about him. So friend, this morning, what have you decided or who have you decided you're going to allow to be the king of your life? Oftentimes, it's revealed in whether you pursue the truths of this book or if you choose to ignore them. This morning, can I challenge each and every one of us to come to the king of kings who is always kings of kings, rather whether we make him that or not, and proclaim, God, you are the king of my life. And because you are the king of my life, I will not and cannot ignore the truths from this book. And God, when you speak to me, I will choose even beforehand to say yes. God, I will choose beforehand to make you the king always in my life. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed this morning as we finish our service. This morning we talked about very, some very important things, nothing more important than this matter of salvation. This morning, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you say, Kyle, that sounds really good. I'd sure like to go to heaven. What do I need to do? Do I have to come and talk to you? Do I have to do something special? Do I need to, what, what is it that I have to do? Friend, whether you're sitting in the auditorium this morning or you're, or you're sitting on your couch this morning, right where you're at, you can pray and ask Christ to forgive you for your sins. Right where you're at, you, you can stop trusting in yourself and what you can do, and you can put your trust and faith in Christ and Him alone. Not Jesus plus anything. It's all grace. It's all mercy. God, because of what you did, I'm putting my trust in you and you alone. Friend, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you can do that this morning. Maybe you say, Kyle, I just, I'd like to, to talk to someone. I'd like to, to talk more about that. Oh, friend, I'd love to talk to you more after the service. You just come and let me know. I'd love to talk to you about it. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, Kyle? There's a lot of things going on in my life. And God's been taken off the throne. Christ has been taken off the throne. He's not been the king that he should be in my life. And I need to make him that king again. I've been choosing, picking and choosing what truths I'm going to, to receive, what truths I'm going to ignore. And this morning, God spoke to my heart. And I want to say yes to Jesus, whatever his will may be you'll find at the feet of Jesus, it's a wonderful place. And I hope each and every person will meet there today. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, let's stand together as the music plays. Father, bless this time now as we conclude our service. Work in hearts, God, as we many are making decisions. I pray, God, that you move in our midst as only you can. We pray this in Jesus' name. Heads bowed and with eyes closed as the music plays. You can respond to the Lord this morning. I'd encourage you. Maybe you want to kneel in your seat. Maybe you want to uh, come to an altar. What, if the Lord spoke into your heart, though, I'd encourage you to spend a few moments with Him. Now, I, don't, I don't pray much. Hey, that's all right. Praying is not saying some really eloquent words. Praying is, is talking to God. The Bible tells us he's, he's closer than a brother. He's closer than a friend. And that's the relationship He wants to have with you. This morning, you can, you can just come to him and talk to him. You don't know Christ is your Savior. The thief on the cross prayed and said, Lord, remember me. And he'll hear you. He'll answer your prayer. I hope this morning that each and every person will respond to God. Nothing else, just say, God, help me to make you king of my life.
today, tomorrow, 